Hello and welcome to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM, the gadget show where we do not talk about the new shiny, shiny things to buy, but instead about the value in the stuff we already have. Most weeks, Restart Radio is hosted by the team at The Restart Project, a London-based charity and social enterprise. But this week you're listening to a takeover of Restart Radio. As volunteers and friends of The Restart Project, we actively promote a more sustainable relationship with our electronics. But we don't do this for our day jobs. So please note that all views expressed in the following show are our own and not representative of those of The Restart Project. My name is Ben Skidmore and I'm co-hosting with Dave Lutz this week. Hi Dave. Hi. We're joined by Steve Cook. Hi Steve. Hello. And we're all regular volunteers with The Restart Project. If you're interested in getting involved, you can visit our website at therestartproject.org. This week, we'll be talking about device ownership and our rights regarding those devices. Does your smartphone really belong to you? What can you or can't you do with it, according to its manufacturers? And what are we going to do to change this in the future? First, though, an overview of the news and technology from Dave. Hi there. A few things caught my eye this week. Um, Amongst others, those of you who have Android phones that you like to put an alternative operating system on, like um, Lineage or what's the other one, Ben? There's another famous one. Uh, well, Clockwork Mods in my day, yeah, and uh, I think it yeah. might have evolved. Yes, there's a, there are a whole bunch of third-party operating systems for Android phones, and they require some amount of cooperation from the original manufacturer. You can't just drop it in there like a piece, like an application. And recently, Lenovo have apparently stopped people from up to, um, from unlocking the bootloader on their phones to install third-party operating systems. We haven't heard the last of this yet. We don't know whether it's going to be some minor thing that we they'll change after discussion or whether they just don't want anybody else running alternative operating systems. <coughs> Excuse me. And so for the uninitiated, to unlock the bootloader is, um, is a prerequisite step to putting your own operating system on. Is that right? Yep, indeed. So basically, they've stopped people from putting their own operating system on there without doing terrible things involving ripping the phone apart. And this, interestingly enough, previously they've been very cooperative with this, as have several other manufacturers, and nobody knows why they've done it. They're not responding to requests for comment. Hmm. Other new news, those of you who, like me, have loads of your photos on Flickr might, may or may not have noticed that um, Verizon has sold Flickr to SmugMug. I haven't actually bothered to crawl through all the terms and conditions yet, but those of you who've got big collections of your repair or other photos might like to just check out what's going to happen to that collection. Um, Apple, why do we always end up talking about Apple? I don't know. Um, It seems like they always manage to do something. And this week, the piece of news that popped up into my radar was that the latest update to their operating system on um, Apple laptops um, High Sierra 10.13.4 has actually been freezing the machine. So you do the upgrade, reboot, and then it goes into this reboot cycle where it never actually does the upgrade. Um, so be warned on that. We haven't heard anything from Apple on that either. And obviously there was a recent news story about um, phones that had screen repairs done that weren't done by Apple originally, um, where those devices were then upgraded to the latest Apple uh, iOS version that people were finding the screens no longer worked. Is is this a similar kind of case? Is this where people have had repairs done on the laptop? Absolutely not. No, no. This is bog standard, absolutely standard laptop. And in some cases, we don't know why. We don't know why it doesn't happen sometimes. But you reinstall the update, your laptop stops working. It's as simple as that. And going back to the previous version, in some cases, I may need a complete OS install. Uh, we don't know. So watch out for that one. And 
I think as a general point, Apple used to have a reputation for being very fault-free. You know, it used to be very robust. You just went on and installed the latest OS and it all worked. People are getting more and more concerned about the level of problems. This has happened before on Mac OS. As you said, Steve, it's happened recently with we're not really sure what it is about the screens. It's, is it third-party screens that you didn't allow? Well, it's not, it's not even third-party. If you take two brand-new phones and you swap the screens around, then <laughs> even then the screen doesn't fully work. Mm. And this is not unlike what happened back uh, when we first started seeing the fingerprint ID. If you had removed that button and reconnected it or if you'd replaced it, yeah. uh, a later update bricked those phones and Apple actually had to recede and replace those phones in the end because of policy. Yeah, exactly. So, yet again, unfortunately, not good news for Apple. And I think we're talking about Apple more later, aren't we? But uh, it's kind of it's difficult to see, is this conspiracy or is this cock-up would be my question. Mm. I suspect, to be honest, a lot of this is just cock-up. There's not a deliberate conspiracy. It's just these devices are getting so damn complex that everything you do to them causes them to break. I presume with the screen thing, it was looking at the serial number on the screen, I'm guessing. Yeah, I think there was something that was embedded into the screen itself, which meant it was tied to the rest of the hardware. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same thing with happening more and more. Yeah, yeah. Same thing with the fingerprint sensor, right? So, who knows what will happen next? Mm. We await Apple's comments with interest. Mm. Other little things. There's been another major task breach. Any of you who use the TaskRabbit service, in case you're not already aware, um, they've lost a load of data. They haven't actually told us how much data yet either. So, look out for that one if you've had any cleaners or any other services from TaskRabbit. My favourite piece of news of the week, nothing to do with repair at all, but it's a lot of fun. The BBC have released their sound effects library for private use. In other words, if you're something, a non-profit organisation, and you want some weird sound effects, the BBC's whole library has been opened up. Go look on our website for detail, for, on the um, programme website for details. But that means that if you want the noise of a cat meowing or somebody closing a door or trains going past or whatever, all those things, they've got a searchable archive online already. Mm. And, yes, I spent part of the morning nerding out doing, looking at all the weird things they have on there. Exciting. <laughs> and presumably non-commercial means it's perfectly okay to use for, you know, making uh, films for your own art and for practice. So a lot of people will benefit from this. Correct. And as far as I'm aware, also amateur dramatics where you're not making a profit all those kind of things mm -hmm. so lots of fun great good on the bbc indeed mm. that's my lot thanks dave so how much do you own your device more and more we depend on these connected devices surrounding us most of us have a smartphone maybe a tablet or smart tv we're starting to see other devices which are connected to the internet too in order to offer smart features like uh, boilers utility meters fridges even front doors i don't know if you've seen the the Amazon front door additions now. Uh, and these devices have all got electronics in them and they all run software of one form or another, even if it's low-level, you know, firmware. But what happens when they develop a fault? Can we open them up? Can we try and repair them? If their software stops being updated because there's a new device superseding them and they become at risk of attack from malware and viruses, can we apply a patch ourselves to make it secure? As it turns out, the code inside these devices is often copyright and protected, so it's kind of uh, belongs to the manufacturer in the same way as a song belongs to a songwriter, as a book belongs to a, a writer. So they're kind of leveraging this to stop us getting into our devices, uh, especially operating systems, as we've mentioned with Apple stuff. We don't know why these faults are appearing. Um, so it's kind of making it hard to keep older, unsupported devices uh, secure and functioning, as well as to do you know basic repairs. Um, and that software locking leaves us, you know, not just in the dark for repair, but potentially breaking the law if we try and fix things. 
there's a few movements to push back. So the right to repair, uh, it's been successfully asserted in the motor vehicle industry in America, for instance. So uh, manufacturers have been prevented from monopolizing repair of their vehicles uh, and they've been forced to allow car owners to fix their own their own things. Mm-hmm. Um, the Copyright Office in America holds hearings every three years as to the current state of this kind of policy and uh, any interested party can can turn up and discuss subjects that should be exempt from the standard policies. And in the past, this has included the right to jailbreak phones and tablets to put your own operating systems on, uh, to rip DVDs for certain fair use like uh, reviewing. And there was also a landmark victory against John Deere, who are a farming vehicle company who locked down their tractors with software in almost every component. So you couldn't just open it up, replace a spark plug and, and get going again. Uh, and, you know, farmers are known for being very DIY, very independent. They will fix anything they can, anyhow they can. So to be blocked by an irrelevance, a software thing, was pretty uh, rude, in my opinion. But it's clear that companies want to be in control of their products, uh, not just when they're released, but even throughout the lifetime of maintenance and even after their typical lifespan is considered spent. And that's not good in terms of premature waste, uh, freedom to repair, or even transparency on the company's part. So, you know, what else does this impact and and where does it leave us? Dave? Okay, well, in the case, well, um, in the case of tractors, I think their argument was safety. The Mm. theory was that somehow a third party could make the vehicle unsafe. Now, that really doesn't make sense because... A third party is under the same legal obligations as the original manufacturer. Same thing with cars. The original excuse with cars was, well, we have to maintain the pollution levels. You know, we have to have it tuned specifically to a certain set of settings Mm. so that it doesn't pollute more than it's supposed to and so on. So they used that excuse. But, of course, again, it's bogus because the third party is under the same legal obligation. And the third party is just as capable of tuning the car to not Mm. emit a certain amount of emissions as the original manufacturer. So it's difficult to see anything other than the commercial imperative here. I don't see how there's any kind of, um, as you say, farmers, for instance, on a tractor. Surely the most dangerous thing about a tractor is it's a tractor. You know, (laughs) you can can roll downhill because one wheel's small, one set of wheels is smaller than the other and so on. I don't really see how putting you know, proprietary electronics and software into it makes it more safe. And I think with with, <clears throat> with a tractor, it's particularly interesting because farmers, as you say, they they um, they're very practical people generally. That they yep. um, they need this machine to be working. It's mm. it's a it's an integral part of the farm. And if it breaks, they're likely to want to be hands on trying to fix this. Yeah. Um, it, if uh, if it's an isolated farm, then they've got the problem that somebody's got to come out and and service yep. it. And if that has to be uh, John Deere in this case, or the manufacturer sending an approved repair party to mm. come to service it, uh, particularly in the US, that could be somebody who's traveling thousands of miles and it could take days to repair. And that's yeah. that's just not fast enough. And I do believe, I, I may be wrong on my facts here, but I read that during that era of the John Deere lockdown, they actually applied a kind of over-the-air update system that meant they could brick your tractor remotely. Ouch. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we'll I wouldn't be surprised. That. I wouldn't be surprised. They would if they could, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so these are being, you know, pushed back in a lot more ways than than we've talked a lot about vehicles because there's been a tradition of repair there that has been pushed mm. back against really well in the states. So now I think all 50 states in America have to support one state's uh, policy that supports people who are repairing their own vehicles. So that's a victory, but, yep. but you know, it comes over to technology uh it comes over to, to phones and laptops where, as we've said, if you change a part, a software element will, will brick your device. Mm-hmm. Also, as we discovered recently, um, 
a repairer in Norway mm. who's been trying to do his best to repair Apple devices has been taken to court by Apple in Norway. Now, the detail on the facts is not entirely clear here, but the story seems to be something like this. This person runs a repair business in Norway, and he was importing replacement screens from, I believe, China, certainly somewhere mm. outside the European Union, which is important, apparently, for the story. And they claimed copyright violation on the grounds that the screens had an Apple logo on them. Yep. Okay? Now, what that means is they were original Apple screens that had been reconditioned or modified or something like that. So the odd thing is, apparently, if they'd been reconditioned within the European Union, there would have been no problem. Okay. But since they were reconditioned outside the European Union, then imported, if they had the Apple logo on them, visible, mm. that would have been a problem. But the court, the court's main argument was the logo wasn't visible. Mm. It was actually stamped on the inside of the part where you couldn't see it. So one has the question, why were Apple stamping their logo on the inside of the part? True, true. You know, it does seem rather as if Apple are deliberately trying to find all these legal ways to stop people repairing. Yeah, and the net result is that they've attacked a small business with a firstly a fine and secondly a court case mm. um, on a trademark issue, not a, not a repair or a, you know a work issue. Yeah. It's not about the product, it's about the trademark. Indeed, it makes no sense because they're not saying, oh, well, it's an inferior product. They're not saying it's anything else. And by the way, apparently the importer had already marked, used an indelible pen or something to mark over the Apple logo. To hide it. Just to just so that it didn't have an Apple logo on it in any way. Mm. So it makes very little sense. And conveniently, from our point of view, the Norwegian court system seems to agree so far. Of course, Apple are appealing. Mm. Now, you can't argue there's a commercial imperative here because it's a tiny amount. Apple turn over millions a day, if not billions. I've, I've lost track of how big their market capitalization mm. is. But it's heading towards the trillions. So no matter how much money they're losing from these little repair businesses, it's nothing. Mm. So you've got to question why they're doing it. Is it purely a, a matter of commercial control, if you like, that they want to control the whole market? Or is there something else behind this? Yeah, it's mysterious right now, and I think let's hope more facts come up on it uh, over time and it doesn't set a bad precedent uh, for small businesses doing repair. Yeah, fingers crossed for all EU repair businesses. Yeah. And it does also highlight this other interesting phenomenon of screens which have been damaged where the, the glass is broken, for example, mm -hmm. but the, the actual the LCD behind the screen is still working fine. And these are these are then shipped off to the Far East. They're, they're, um, the, the, they're delaminated, so the glass is removed and then the glass is replaced, put back onto the screen and then it's shipped back and then those are used as replacement parts. And so there's a whole sort of um, subsystem of, of people who are taking these things apart and then reassembling them in different ways. This is a very kind of labor-intensive process, and so this is why it's shipped out to the Far East. But the, those are parts which are coming back. And the reason why it still has the Apple logo on it is because it's the, the, the screen part of it which has got the logo. Oh, okay, right. So, But hang on, that's a logo inside the screen, though, it's, isn't it? It's, Not... on, it's on the inside, yeah. Hmm, interesting. So not visible from the outside <clears throat> of the device. So again, but you're saying this is they replace it with an original Apple screen. Uh, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, the hmm. glass, the glass on the front might not be original Apple, <clears throat> but, oh, but the screen itself right. is because okay. the screen is still working. Hmm, interesting. But this also highlights the the challenge for independent repair shops around getting genuine parts. It's very difficult in yep. some cases for them to find parts which are um, which are original Apple 
parts because Apple sells the parts only <coughs> within their authorized repair network. And so potentially this uh, repair shop wouldn't have had the problem in the first place if it, if they'd had access to original Apple parts. Yeah, and that is part of the right to repair battle, isn't it? Yeah, and just to emphasize, Apple do have an authorized repair network, supposedly. But from what we've been told, the conditions to sign up for that network are onerous and the costs are not, you know, they're the parts the cost of the parts from Apple does not res reflect what we know their true cost to be mm. because we know that Apple have their manufacture in China and that you can import these reconditioned parts for far less than Apple charge for them. So, again, there's a question mark over whether Apple really genuinely want there to be an independent repair business. You're listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. This week we've been talking about how much you really own your device and the right to repair. I'm here with Dave Lukes and Steve Cook, regular volunteers like me with the Restart Project. Now it was Earth Day this weekend and there were lots of restart parties over the course of the week with some really exciting fixes. Dave, do you want to tell us about a few of the, good, the best ones? Um, okay, my favourite was somebody turned up at our restart party in Hackney. And it's a great, great occasion anyway because... What Hackney Council do is they blend restart party parties run by my organisation, Hackney Vixers, in with what they call a give-and-take event mm. where you can bring along stuff you don't want and people can come along and pick it up. So in other words, it's like Free Cycle, Free Eagle, one of these things, but done in person. Very popular, lots of fun, lots of interesting things. My favourite was a cat water fountain. For those of you who have cats, some cats are picky and they don't like stale water. So this is basically a device which will circulate your water so it stays fresh for your mm. cat. Those of you who've known cat obsessives will understand this is perfectly reasonable. There's nothing yeah. weird about it at all. And, um, but this is wonderful. This one bought this cat filter, this cat um, fountain in, and it had stopped pumping the water. And at first I thought the water pump had failed and it would be one of those how to find a new water pump. No, it turned out that the seal... Mm -hmm. between the water pump and the sort of jet that fountained the water up had somehow disintegrated completely. And the best bit about it was I repaired it with an elastic band. Okay. I turned an elastic hmm. band into a rubber filter, wrapped it around there, rolled it down, and it worked. Gave it a clean. Amazing. So it just proves, you know, almost anything can be repaired with an elastic band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good improvisation-type fix. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And... Um, Happy as you know, she was very happy. Obviously, went away, and presumably, her cat's happy now. And it's often the case that you know, you can replace it. We've talked, you know, we'll talk in a future program about mm. materials you can use for repair, so I won't spoil that now. But there are amazing numbers of bits and pieces around the house that you can use to repair stuff that you wouldn't think of until you get pushed into that corner and suddenly you think, hmm, I need something that will do this, and you can use some random household object. You know, a piece of melted plastic or whatever. Yeah, I really enjoy that, reusing what's around me. And, and you know, my small toolbox I take to restart parties is kind of, um, it's almost curated where it's one in, yeah. one out. And yeah. things that show themselves to be useful end up going in. So, you know, credit cards, paper clips. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly the same. Credit cards tend mm. to be very multi-purpose for things which they weren't originally intended for. Yeah, paper Very good clips for spreading yeah. and yeah, yeah, sponging and filling gaps. Yeah, you, know, you can make little shaped spaces and stuff. Yeah, 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 and um, <clears throat> excuse me, paper clips, really great for those. 
annoying things where you have those SIM holders with a little hole in them. You've got to get into that. Also, bits of wire where you need to short something out. Um, and again, spudging with very small gaps. Paperclip's great for that. And also, holding things together occasionally while you're repairing them. You oh, can use, use them as miniature vices, sort of bend them, bend them around and use them for that. And the other interesting thing is, what, Ben, what you're saying about the, the, you know, you're trying to carry as little as possible. I think we're all in the mm, same situation. Yeah. We're, we're generally uh, going to these events on public transport or on a bike or whatever, mm-hmm. but we, we don't want to be carrying vast amounts of equipment. We can't carry a lot. So mm. we're really trying to find what is the most effective set of things that we can carry in the smallest space. Yeah. So it's a constant process of iteration of trying to find the best tools for the job. Yeah, proven by experience. Yeah. Go on then, quick question to you both. What's your favourite thing in your toolkit? Uh, bench power supply that weighs about 20 grams. Wow, yeah, that's serious stuff, yeah. yeah. My, um, my toolkit's almost a pencil case. <laughs> oh, that's, um, that's impressive in itself. Go on, what's your favourite thing in it, though, Ben? Well, it's the number one tool in any toolkit for me, which is a really sharp scalpel. Um, doing point, guitar repair, yes. it was the most used tool. Uh, doing woodwork, it's the most used tool because it, it has a point, it has a hard edge, it's got a sharp edge. You can do almost anything with it. And you can use a handle as a spudger if you really need yeah, to. And it's got it a ruler on the side. How has it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think a five centimetre ruler down the side of a, you know the classic Swan Morton scalpel handle. Oh, do that! I didn't know that. Oh, I'm going to get one now. <laughs> okay. So, um, what else about repairs? Ben, you had some fun with a printer, if I remember rightly. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be very upfront in admitting that I talk about the villainy of printers and how disposable they are, and, you know, they cost as much to buy ink for as they do to replace, so when they break, yep. you usually, or well, I don't, but some people usually throw them away. Um, and I did my first printer fix. Hey. It was the first event in, uh, first item in at the start of the event, and I think it was the last out, so it took the whole <laughs> session. Um, but it was brought in knowing it had blocked print heads. You know, it's dried up, right. it stopped working. And so it was just a case of how do we get in there, how do we clean it, which is the challenge with most tech. How do you get into it? So mm-hmm. uh, I did a, a quick bit of searching online, and I found a, a two-minute video. So uh, for people who have done restart parties, they can be noisy, they can be busy. It's really hard to watch a 10-minute video on the internet of someone explaining how you access mm-hmm. something. This this two-minute video was great. It was just all visual, and it was like, you know, zoom in, pop the cover off, zoom out, zoom into another bit, undo a screw. And it just gave us the three or four key spots. And then we worked our way into the inner workings of the printer. Um, and I found another video that was nine minutes, but the first eight was what we'd already done. Perfect. So we then just uh, set about cleaning with alcohol the print heads and kind of flooding it through to try and soak them and did a full reassembly, and, and luckily it worked. So Yay. all the label was worth it. For anyone who thinks that's a waste of good alcohol, it's uh, isopropyl alcohol, <laughs> not not vodka. <coughs> not, Although not, you not can use vodka stuff. in a pinch. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, yeah. Yeah, so that's really satisfying, and I came away with three or four different colours stained into my hands, which is quite a nice badge of honour. <laughs> but I think this is quite a common problem with, with inkjet printers, that the, the heads yeah. get blocked, particularly if you don't use them very often. I've yeah. certainly seen this problem. Yeah. And this demonstrates that it is actually quite fixable. Not always, but if mm-hmm. uh, if you if you look online, you find videos that show you how to take that particular model apart. And typically, soaking it in isopropyl alcohol will uh, soften up the, the the ink that's hardened onto it, and you may be able to get it working again. Yeah, and wouldn't it be great if it was like a classic car where you can just pop the hood and get to that? Mm. You know, it's the yeah. number one piece that gets uh, gets you know gunked up. Yeah, whereas in practice, it's usually about an hour, isn't it? Yeah. Of clips and wires and little springs that go ping and fly off. I did actually yeah, shoot a, a spring across the room. Did Luckily you find I retrieved it? it. Yeah. Yay. No, I've, I've lost, I don't know how many springs from printers. 
And again, you wonder whether it's actually necessary for it to be that annoying. Surely yeah. they could have a retaining clip on one end of the spring yeah. so it doesn't fly off. And also, my favourite bugbear with printers is they often have a pad inside yep. them which is receives all the ink that splashes over the edges of the pages. And when that fills up, that's it. Yeah, end of life for yeah, a you cotton can't pad. Just, yeah, for, basically it's a very small sponge or cotton pad. And as soon as that fills up, if you're luck, at best, the printer will start dribbling ink all over the edge of your paper. Mm. At worst, it will actually say, pad full, end of life. And that's yeah. it. And I've never seen a printer which allows you to replace that. True, and I wonder if uh, I mean if it did have a, a software thing that said end of life, even if we were to open it up and clean that pad and replace it. Good question. Would, would it, yeah, would it actually work after that? Possibly not. Uh, yeah, and it's not even just the ink that splashes over the edge of the page. It's every time it does a cleaning cycle. Of course, and yes. they do cleaning cycles very regularly to stop yeah. the print head getting blocked. So, yeah. um, you know, the, the a lot of the ink that you buy and you put into the, the printer never actually makes it onto the page. Mm. It just ends up sort of <laughs> yeah, accelerating of the course. end of life of the device. It's kind of a double negative, isn't it? You mm. avoid one problem by creating another one. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, a printer ink, I think, Hugo once worked out, is more expensive than champagne, isn't it? By a long way. Yeah. Sounds about vintage, right. Than vintage champagne. Yeah. It's one of the most expensive liquids on the planet. And what do you do, as you say? You know, it's a bit like mustard. You leave it all on the side of your plate, so to speak. And, again, you wonder... Most printers are very low-cost items, mm. and I have to have a suspicion. I'm, I know the Polaroid cameras originally, they used to make more money out of the film they did out of the cameras by a long way. Sure. And they were apparently accused once of what they call uh, dumping. They were selling the cameras below the cost of ma manufacturer, a manufacturer, which is, I think, still illegal in the US. Really? Yeah. Um, it used to be. anyway. And um, so they made all their money on the film. Which, if you think about it, makes sense. You know, you buy the camera once, then you use loads of film. But I wonder whether the same is true of printering, whether they make more money out of the, you know, proportionally out of the printering than they do out of the printer itself. Well, of course, you, you don't have to buy the manufacturer's ink. There are plenty of companies that will sell you um, ink independently. And you might be put off the idea of using that because you may hear stories about, well, it causes the print head to block or whatever. But mm -hmm. obviously, if, if that's already happened with the device and you've managed to get it working again, mm -hmm. you're, you're looking at a device which would have otherwise gone in the in, into the uh, e-waste stream. So you're probably, you, you're okay from that point to say, well, uh, you know, I've got nothing to lose. But even as far back as uh, 2000, I remember my friend had a, a particular printer that had a chip in it and the chip said, yeah. I'm, you know, or the cartridges said, you know, I'm, I'm empty, that's it. And you had to buy a reprogrammer to tell the printer it had new ink in. <laughs> it's totally backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, uh, I remember in this particular case where one of the major pr printer manufacturers sued one of the um, remanufacturers of his cartridges for using his proprietary um, material or whatever, so I can't remember whether it was software or hardware. The interesting thing was they actually showed that their ink was the same quality sure. as the original manufacturers. Mm. So it's not necessarily a question of, oh, yes, this will ink will mess your printer up. It probably won't. Mm. Yeah. So what else do we have, Ben? Uh, well, so we, uh, Steve and I were at an event uh, in Crystal Palace where they're just getting a, getting a group off the ground. Um, and we had a fly mow, so a, a garden uh, mower. Probably the biggest device that I've seen at any restart party. Definitely the same for me, yeah. <laughs> and, and we do have a kind of disclaimer saying, you know, power tools and very large devices are risky and may not be something we can fix at an indoor event mm -hmm. with the public. Um, but as it turned out, I don't know if you followed, Steve, but uh, the, the problem was a break on the cable just where it entered the machine. So you've got, you know, 40 yeah. feet of cable to let you out into the garden. 
and then a bend. And so all we did was cut two inches of cable off, re-crimp the two bits of wire, screw them back in, make sure it was all solid, and uh, another hopefully another 20 years out of that. Yeah, Yay. and it's so a great fix because it didn't actually need any parts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could do it again and again with yeah. that cable, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So you've been listening to a volunteer takeover of Restart Radio. Uh, there are no upcoming events this week, uh, which is rare for us because we, we're busy these days. But I think we're kind of taking a bit of a break because we've had such a busy couple of weeks <laughs> we've, recently. We've sprung into life, haven't yeah. we? There's been a lot going on, yeah. Um, but if you're interested in coming to a, a future Restart party, you can check out the events scheduled for May, which uh, there are several. Mm-hmm. So you can find out more at our website, which is http colon slash slash org, or you can find us on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, I'd like to say thanks to Optonoise and Cassini Sound for our music, which was made with lasers, spinning plastic discs and discarded electronics. Keep fixing.